I'm Chloe Potter and this is Vision Vibes. This story was originally broadcast on television as part of NHK World Japan's interview series, Direct Talk. The pandemic has caused one of the largest disruptions to education in history. The current approach to education and the setup of schools has been largely unchanged for hundreds of years. Could this be the moment for an overhaul? Today's interviewee, scholar Christopher Emden, argues for a less paternalistic, more responsive, more inclusive approach. Education is a lifelong occupation. If we lay the right foundations at school, if we can model listening and curiosity over dogmatic opinion holding and rote learning, then we can instill positive habits for life. As a teacher, Christopher has seen the impact of connecting with students via their own culture, encouraging them to learn in ways that are accessible, familiar, comfortable. Many students are held back by traditional systems that don't suit them. Education should set people free. The shifts caused by the pandemic might well prove to be the seeds of a 21st century renaissance. As we begin to see the results of a whole year or more of unconventional learning, could a seismic shift in education be part of that? Enjoy listening to Christopher and his refreshing ideas. I'll meet you on the other side. Here's narrator Hannah Barnes. In the United States, there have long been achievement gaps among students of different socioeconomic and racial backgrounds, especially in science. Dr. Christopher Emden, an associate professor in the Department of Mathematics, Science, and Technology at Columbia University's Teachers College, is a leading scholar on urban education. He's called for culturally inclusive education to help minority students achieve success in school. Emden created a unique program that uses hip-hop music to engage students in science class. By writing their own original rhymes about the concepts they are studying, they deepen their scientific knowledge. Let me tell you something, I wanna get your attention. DNA has the genetic information, transcription takes the best from one gene, turn into RNA, you know what I mean? We asked Christopher Emden about his innovative approach to teaching science and how educators can respond to the crisis of the COVID-19 pandemic. I think that the issue that we have in contemporary education is about the inability of schools to connect to the lived experiences of young people. This is especially the case for young people who've been historically marginalized. So black young people, Latinx young people, poor young people, indigenous populations, all these folks who just don't have an opportunity to see themselves in school, in the curriculum, need a teaching and learning approach that is emotionally connected, that is culturally connected, and that makes like an application to their real lives. Historically, when we talk about black and brown people in particular, you know, they came from a history of slavery. And at that time, for those populations, to learn to read or write meant that you were risking your life. If you were educated and were black in this country at some point, you could be lynched. So we began the process of schooling by saying this is not for you. 
Now, over time, we've progressed, we've grown, we've opened up opportunities for certain populations to be educated, but the fundamental premise has been flawed. So now that we're catching up and realizing, wait, these young folks can do well. For this nation to be successful, all young people must do well. We have to go and reverse this long history that has told these populations that school was not for them. Emden says that educators themselves and the textbooks they teach do not generally reflect the diversity of today's students. He's authored various books on urban education, addressing the importance of meeting students on their own cultural turf. He refers to this as reality pedagogy. Reality pedagogy is a method of training teachers that teaches them that in order to connect with young people, you have to begin with the reality of the young people's experiences. For example, if I was going to go teach a young person who was in Appalachia, who is white and is from a rural area, I could not come to that young person and say, hey, come hip hop with me. That would be irresponsible. It would be inauthentic. Much in the same way, if I'm teaching a young person in urban America and I say, just memorize the information in the textbook and look at all these people who don't look like you. That's inauthentic. So your cultural turf is a recognition that we all have various backgrounds, various understandings, and teaching has to be nimble. It has to be flexible. You have to be a student of the culture of young folks. And that is what I mean by cultural turf, recognizing that we're not all the same, but that's not a bad thing, but we must respect each other's culture. We must value each other's culture and we must look at each other's culture as having intellectual and academic value. Christopher Emden was born and raised in New York City during the golden age of hip hop. Hip hop culture has always been an important part of his identity. I always say to people that if there was no hip hop, I don't know where I would be because it was the first place where I found that I had a voice. Um, I used to write raps. I used to be a rapper when I was in high school. And I remember performing my first rap and all my friends saying, whoa. And the first time I felt intelligent and I felt genius and I felt like I had self-confidence and I felt like I could take on the world was when I performed the rap to my friends and I got validation. Believe it or not, I was never a great student in high school. I was probably at best a C student, sometimes a B. A's were hard to get. Um, and it was because I wasn't interested. I just wasn't. I went to school because I had to go to school. And I went to school because if I went to school, then at lunch, I could be in a rap cipher. <laughs> That's why I went. I was lucky enough to have parents that pushed me to go to college. But most young people who have a bad experience in school and don't have a role model to say you have to go to college will think that they're not smart once they leave high school and that changed their entire life. I discovered that I had intelligence in college, but what if I dropped out in high school and never went? And so we're losing people who actually have never got turned on to the subject, which is why it's so important to, to, to have that activation work happen early. In 2012, Emden partnered with the renowned rap artist Jizza to start a program in academically struggling New York City high schools. Students created their own original science raps, and Jizza mentored them in the art form. The idea came from Emden's own experience as a science student in graduate school. 
I found that all my friends would be up all night long trying to memorize information, trying to read the textbook and soak in the knowledge. And I, at the time, used to love hip hop. So I could memorize information all the time. I could hear a rap album and know the whole album by the end of the day because I'm listening to it over and over again. So when I was in graduate school, I realized that if I wrote raps about what I was learning in grad school, I could memorize it. I could apply it. I could make connections. And for a very long time, I thought that was just a skill that I had until I became a teacher. And I said, you know what? Let me share with young people my own secret sauce. And when I gave this idea to young people, they had the same magic. They were remembering the information. They were making metaphors and analogies. They were being creative. And so I said, I have to create this program for everybody. You know, Jizza partnered with me because he loves science and he's a hip hop icon and he never had a good experience in school. And anybody who hears his lyrics knows that he is a genius. I mean, the way he puts words together, the way he analyzes the world, like he is a genius. But when he was in school, they did not see that genius. They didn't identify that he had the potential to be something bigger than what his circumstances said. And so when Jizza heard about the project, he wanted to be on board right away because it was something he wishes he had when he was in school. In the program, students combine knowledge with analytical skills to write rhymes. At the end of the year, they compete in a science rap battle. I just showed this several times with the scapular humorous connection. And I subtract your femur from your hamstring. Now your legs is missing. Add me to the equation. It's a smooth operation. You know, the kids who participated in the Science Genius, the first immediate thing that happened was they showed up to school more often. They weren't coming to school. And all of a sudden, we have this, pro- this project that's hip hop and science, and they come to school. So we thought that was interesting. Then we started realizing that they're getting higher grades. So it's like, whoa, this, this is really interesting. Then we started realizing that they were going to college. <laughs> and we're like, whoa, we may have something here. And now finally, you know, nine years later, we have graduates from college and we have people going into careers. And one thing that we didn't think we would get is that a lot of them are not just going into science, but they're going into teaching. By experiencing science genius, they want to be science teachers as well. So this is not just about science. It's about life. It's about giving people opportunities by giving them a quality education. And a quality education is not the same old teaching and learning. A quality education is an education that connects to your culture, that connects to your, to your roots, that connects to your ideology, and makes you feel as though you have something within you that can do anything that you want. And that's what this work is all about. In March 2020, the COVID-19 pandemic shut down New York City and its schools. Since then, many students have had to learn remotely in the longest education disruption in history. The pandemic has been heartbreaking. I've lost people that I love uh, in this pandemic. It's been more heartbreaking for black and brown people in urban areas because they're in more congested spaces, because they have uh, less access to healthcare, because they already have an underlying dysfunction in the neighborhoods related to sort of like uh, health disparities, asthma, uh, pollution. And then you have a pandemic on top of racism and on top of, of, of health inequities. It's tough. But I want to say something else. In the midst of that dysfunction has been magic. Because in the midst of that dysfunction, young folks have learned to be innovative and creative 
They're going online and creating new platforms. They are in Zoom classrooms doing better than they were doing when they were in regular school. You know, a lot of us talk about how education during the pandemic is so tough and the kids aren't learning and all that stuff. But I'll tell you this. There are some young people who are learning more during this pandemic than they were in school because they don't have to go to a school where the teachers don't care about them and the system doesn't love them. At least they can wake up when they want to get online and they're not being judged. They're not being they're not being racially profiled. So while some are suffering, some young people in this moment are having the best learning experiences of their lives. I'm not trying to undermine the severity of this crisis. I am saying, though, that for certain populations who've been historically marginalized, this has been an opportunity for new beginnings, a new imagining. And I think going forward, this pandemic will change everything. Going forward, there's, no, there's not going to be a back to normal. See, a lot of people are rushing to get back to normal. But for some of us, back to normal means back to racism, back to violence, back to not feeling loved, back to not learning. So we don't want to go back to normal. We want to envision new possibilities. So what must we do? We must understand deeply who is suffering and why. Who is thriving and why. So let's say somebody's thriving. Why are they thriving? Oh, they have devices and they have Wi-Fi. Let's try to get devices and Wi-Fi to everybody. Some kids are suffering. Why? They're suffering because they don't like the school. Online school looks just like offline school. Their kids right now, they go on a device, they're connected, and the teacher is giving a whole lecture and it's boring and it's and disengaging. That's just an extension of the existing model. So that's not working. Then wait, some kids from an urban neighborhood are thriving. Why? Wow, it's the educator, it's the creativity, it's the invention. So we, we cannot make decisions about what works best for young people based on the comfort of adults. We have to be creative and ask deep questions about what's working and not and utilize that information to inform what we do next. I think that post-COVID, we'll be more flexible, we'll be more dynamic, we'll be more reflexive, we'll mix online and offline, we'll change our scheduling, we will have teachers who are collaborating with other teachers, we'll, be, we'll have more diverse networks that may be more global. I think that we are going to use this opportunity if we're smart, to redefine what schools look like. I think kids might not have to come to school every day. They might have to come to school two days a week and intern one day and stay home the other day and still learn. You know, we have a model of contemporary schooling that has not changed since the 1800s. It is so antiquated. And so this is gonna force us to catch up with the time. There was no Wi-Fi and internet in the 1800s and 1900s. There was no remote teaching. Now we have those things. So now let's have a school system that reflects the modern technology, the modern creativity, and the modern imagination. And I think this interruption is gonna force us to match up to where we actually are. It's a philosophy of life. Something that is inherently problematic can also be something that becomes your motivator. It's all about what you choose to do with it. So the pandemic has been rough, yes, but I choose to look at it as an opportunity for a radical new beginning. My goal is to live a life where I make an impact that lives beyond me. I want to create a legacy that this person worked to ensure that inequities were erased and that young people who were told they were less than can thrive. 
I want my work to change the world. And I want it to make those who've been told that they cannot believe that they can. We asked Christopher Emden to share with us some words that guide him. The only person better than you is embedded in you. I live by that mantra and I share it with my students all the time. So whenever they think that there are limitations to what they can do, I always say, you don't have to worry about anybody else. And the best version of yourself is always still in you. So the only person better than you is embedded in you. If the pandemic has taught us anything, it is the power of perspective. We choose our thoughts, we choose our attitudes, and with them, we create our life. Christopher is right. If we can reframe challenges as opportunities, our lived experience immediately improves. And Christopher knows that belief in your own potential is the key. I'm sure I'm not alone in driving myself to despair sometimes, comparing myself to others. But as the old adage goes, comparison is the thief of joy. Knowing that everything you need is already there inside you is a far more empowering position to choose. So why not choose it? That's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. You can find the transcript as well as our other stories on the NHK World website. I'm Chloe Potter. Join us next time for more mind-expanding insights from inspiring people on Vision Vibes.